If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find um, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. All right. Uh, last week, we started a new series that we are calling Glory. Uh, and I'm going to attempt to very quickly recap the idea of this in case you missed it. All right. Uh, the, this, is, this series we kind of have said is it's a very personal, very kind of raw, unfinished uh, type of series. It's something that we feel like God has been working in our staff uh, on some of these different things. And we like to get up here and be like, yeah, we have this figured out and we know what we want to talk about and all these different things. And, and we know the subjects and where we think God's going to move. Um, this is not one of those series. We're kind of figuring this out as we go because we're just trying to be very transparent and honest with God uh, of kind of where we are and allowing God to speak to us. All right? Um, so what we have kind of realized is this, that uh, there seems to be some type of a shortcoming in the American church, uh, in the Western world. Basically, when, when I read my Bible and I look at the Christianity that I see in the book of Acts, in the early church, it looks very different from the Christianity that I'm living. Uh, and not necessarily in a good way. Um, and so I started to, you know, lots of times we think, well, yeah, it was 2,000 years ago, all these different things, and you know, Jesus was there with them, and yeah, of course it's going to be different. Well, I'm not necessarily just talking about the 2,000-year um, time difference and, and the context difference, because actually today, if we go and look around the world, and we go and look at Christians that are in Iran, Christians that are in Afghanistan, Christians that are in China, Christians that are in Vietnam and Laos, like, I again see a very different walk of faith than what I feel like I have. And again, not really in a positive way. I seem to be missing something. I seem to not have an urgency or a passion or a desire or a commitment that other people have. All right? And, and so we don't really have like a perfect, here's the four steps to fix this type of answer. We wanted to just throw this out there and say something is off. We don't really even know what it is, but let's talk about it. And, and in this, um, we want to feel some tension. I think that, that is part of this. Um, and, and I think that uh, this is key. That we should almost daily feel a tension of, am I living the life that I am supposed to? Am I following God the way that I've been called to follow him? All right, now I want to like differentiate this. Not tension based on, am I saved? When I die, am I going to spend eternity with God? Not tension in that. We shouldn't feel tension there. Um, scripture seems pretty clear that we can know that for certain. But what we should feel tension in is, am I doing everything that I could be doing for God? And when I ask that question of myself, it is almost always the answer is no. And then, but then you start down this rabbit trail where you're like, yeah, I, of course I could do all these different things. Of course I could sell my house and my car and all these things and give the money. But, you know, like there's that spot of how do we live our life? We live in America. We have luxuries. We have things in our life. How do we live our life but still be accountable to God in the way that we're doing it. So hopefully you even, as I say this, feel some tension of just like every single day I want to wake up and say, oh, am I, what side am I airing on here? Am I really doing everything that I should be doing? 
So this, uh, this series isn't about answers necessarily. Um, and, and one of the things that we've just realized is this. I think one of the biggest differences between our life and the life of the early church or the life of the persecuted church around the world um, is the fact that I have everything that I need. And for the most part, you have everything you need. I don't know every situation in the room, but all right, all of us are wearing clothes. Okay, check that one off. We have clothes. That's good. Um, you know, like I woke up with a roof over my head and food in the fridge. Um, I have health, I have wealth, I have safety, and I have freedom because I live in America. And I'm not worried that someone's going to come through the door and arrest all of us for what we're doing this morning. And those differences right there, I think, play a massive role in why our faith looks as different as what it does. All right, And it doesn't mean that those things are bad, but they play into this, and I need to sort that out. All right, so let's do this. Let's stand together if you're willing, if you're able. Uh, let's kind of prepare to, to just look at ourselves today with a bit of a microscope um, and, and just expect, that, um, expect and even welcome that as we press in together today that we may feel uncomfortable and we may feel tension. Like, let's just have that mindset. So, all right, I'm going to be reading uh, Mark 10, starting in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to tell you who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. God, we pray that uh, as we look at this passage today, Lord, that this would just become alive to us in a new way. God, maybe we've read this before, maybe we haven't. Um, Lord, but we just, we right now welcome um, just your voice and your conviction and your um, just movement in our life this morning. God, so that when we leave here today, that we would be different from when we walked in. Jesus, we ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. For today, uh, I, I sort of have one focus that I want us to look at in this. Uh, last week, we set up this whole tension, this whole problem of our life and the life of the persecuted church, the early church looking different. We should feel that tension. I want us to now begin to try and explore some of these areas of why is it so different? All right? Um, and I think for us today, I want us to look at one thing that is absolutely prevalent in our culture, uh, and that is pride. All right? Pride. Now, the word pride has quite a few different definitions, uh, and some are more helpful or accurate.
to what we are talking about than others. Okay? So, such as, I do not think that we have an excess amount of groups of lions um, in our culture, and that is why we are struggling. Okay, if you didn't know, pride is a group of lions. All right? So as you look up the definition, that is one of the definitions you'll have there. Not the definition, though, that I want to talk about. All right? And actually, as you read through pride, there's all sorts of different things that are kind of listed off. Um, so I'm going to try and loosely define what I am talking about here. Okay? So pride, I, I have it defined as this. The desire to take focus that should be on God and put it on yourself. Now, this is not a definition that you're going to find anywhere else. Uh, partly because this has a like Christian perspective to it, also because I made it up. All right, so you're just not going to find this definition. Uh, but this was kind of the I felt like the closest that I could get to what I'm I'm trying to talk about today and and get across. All right, this is an incomplete definition. I know that. All right, you don't need to write me emails saying that was a terrible definition. All right, now because it is so broad and open, uh, I do think that it allows us to look at areas of our life and how pride is affecting us that we normally wouldn't think of. We normally wouldn't categorize underneath pride, okay? Uh, and, and I think that this can be the root of so many other problems that we find, especially uh, the problems that lie within wealth and safety and freedom and happiness. Like pride, I think, is kind of the root of so many of these other things. That if we trace them back, that we would actually find pride at the source of it. And ultimately, we said we are supposed to feel tension in our walk with Jesus, but pride eliminates tension, all right? Because pride says, I have this figured out. I know what I need to do. Like, pride doesn't leave room for mistakes or for learning. And, and let me clarify, like, the tension, again, is not necessarily in our salvation. It's just like, how am I living this walk? All right, so if you're taking notes, pride removes necessary tension. It does. The tension that we should be feeling in this, pride removes it because it says, no, I have this figured out. I don't have anything to learn. I'm not screwing up in any way. I have all this figured out. All right? Uh, now, last week, we had this as kind of one of our points uh, that we needed to remove pride from our life. But I actually like the wording. We even said you need to eradicate pride because eradicate is a word that actually means to grab something by the roots and pull it up. Okay, like the, the root of the word eradicate, radix, means root. And so it's, it's not just saying, okay, I'm going to look for the areas where other people see pride, or I'm going to look at the areas where I see pride, where it's visible in my life, and I'm going to, you know, remove that. It's saying, no, I want to go deep down to the root of what this is, and if there's pride there, I want to grab that and rip it out, because it shouldn't be in my life. All right, now in our passage for today, we have two of Jesus' followers, and they are so excited to be part of his movement. All right, like, think about this. Maybe you've been watching, like, the show The Chosen. All right, and you maybe have a little more of a visual of this. But, like, everywhere they go, their little group is the talk of the town. All right, like, they, the towns find out about it before they even show up, and everyone's waiting, and everyone follows them around. And, and so imagine you're there with Jesus, Everywhere you go, like everyone wants to talk about you, you're just kind of this like great little sidekick there. All right, can you imagine that pride probably wells up inside of you a little bit with this type of thing? All right, uh, oftentimes they even try and like kind of sneak away and get away from the crowds, things like that. But I, I think that for the disciples, pride had to be a hard thing. 
All right? Um, and so we see this passage that we read. And here's the thing that we have to remember. For the disciples, they had an idea in their mind of how they thought this was going to end. And it was going to end with Jesus on a throne. Okay, like ruling over the area. Now, something that I've often thought um, as I kind of study is that when we see the word like Jesus Christ, when we see Messiah, you know, we see this as kind of like the rescuer, deliverer, like we see all of that. In my mind, I automatically assume that that role would be filled by God in some type of a way. Because that's what we know about Christianity. What we have to understand is that for people at that time, there's all these prophecies about a Messiah coming and ruling. But actually, for many of them, they did not combine that with God. The thought was that it could just be a human, a, a deliverer, someone who would rise up and rescue them. Especially shortly after the Maccabean revolt that had just happened, they're like, we're looking for that. We're looking for someone to sit on a throne. So this idea of the Messiah coming and the Messiah actually being divine and then dying and, and, and raising again, like that was not part of their thought. And so as they're sitting there, as they're watching all this with Jesus, and as they start on their path towards Jerusalem, they're all thinking, okay, we're going to get to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to kick butt because if he can heal people, I, I can't imagine what he can do to hurt them. Like, all right, if we're going to battle here, like this is the guy we want on our team. Like, okay, you, you like healed a broken leg. Can you actually just like break a leg like by snapping your fingers? Like, you know, in their mind, they're like, okay, we're going to win this battle. Let's go. Jesus is going to rule. And for James and John in this moment, they're like, okay, when he rules, we want to be part of that. We want to share in that a little bit. Can we actually sit on your left side and your right side? Can we sit right there with you? Like, we don't need to take all the glory away from you, Jesus. This is still your show. But can we share in your glory? You know, we don't need to be in the middle of the spotlight. But can I be on the fringe of the spotlight where it still kind of hits and highlights me? And I think this is what we do so often with God. We want to see God move in different ways in our life and in our friends' lives and in our family's lives. But so often, we want to kind of be part of it. We think that that's kind of one of the benefits of being on Jesus' team. Is I, I, I get to have a little bit of that glory that he has. And I think this is how pride can show up so often for us. Instead of only pointing to God, we, we still want to kind of point to ourselves in some type of a way. All right, And I think pride shows up in ways that we would never really expect. All right, now, you might be sitting here thinking, I don't deal with pride. Uh, I actually have super low self-esteem, you know, or something like that. That might be what you're thinking. Um, or I don't deal with pride. I, like, uh, I am not that talented of a person. I don't have many things to be prideful of. All right, or I don't deal with pride. I am barely making ends meet. I am not this wealthy person that is flaunting it uh, to everybody else around me. All right, I want to list off some ways that I think that pride can kind of like sneakily show up in our lives. All right, because yes, pride can be us thinking that we're better than someone else, uh, but that's kind of the simple part of it. All right, so pride also can be entitlement, hypocrisy, 
uh, rebellion or having issues with authority, wanting constant attention or affirmation, uh, and unwillingness to, to learn or to learn from certain people, uh, thinking that you're too good to do something, constantly being critical of the things that are around you, refusing to ask for help when you need it. Fear and anxious thoughts can stem from pride, lacking gratitude in our life. Being a people pleaser can come from pride. Not spending time praying about things in your life. Always trying to, uh, to point things out in other people's life or correct them in some way. Uh, disregarding advice that people are giving you. Not taking feedback well. Uh, obsessing with physical appearance. Justifying your sin or your actions. Uh, ignoring people. Uh, the idea of false humility like name dropping. Chasing various types of status. like All of these things can stem from pride. And the difficult thing with pride is it doesn't just show up in like the classic way that we think of. Last week I kind of shared the conversation that Pastor Kyle and Sock Center and I had had where he had come to this realization that he drives this old beater car that many things on it don't work right. And he said, you know, I used to think that that was like just this super humble thing but he said, I've, I've come to realize how much pride I have wrapped up in that. That it is actually the opposite. It's not a status symbol of like, look at me driving this amazing uh, Rolls Royce or something. I picked that because I don't think anyone in this room has that car. All right. Like, um, you know, look at me driving this amazing car. It, pride also shows up and look at me driving this really junky car. Like, how, how great am I that I don't feel the need to have all these great things in life? I'll make this work, even though I can barely open the door without rolling down the window and reaching out and opening it. And so him and I were talking about that, like pride shows up in all these weird ways. Uh, and that's why I use the term eradicate with what we need to do with pride. Because we can't just grab it at the surface level, we need to go deep and figure out what is pride in my life. All right? Because some of these areas, they're holding us back and we need to dig down to the root and we need to pull it up there. All right, now, I've tried to boil down a list of like, okay, I just rattled off a bunch, and some of you maybe started off trying to write things down. I, I've boiled down a list here uh, to like eight things that I think almost everything else kind of fall into these. It's not exhaustive, whatever. It's something I came up with, okay? Um, so here's some things where I think pride really shows up for us. First one is entitlement. Like, you just think, I deserve that. Whether it's, I deserve to be happy I deserve to spend this money that I've made. I deserve to have this type of house or this type of car, this type of retirement. Um, I deserve this time off. I deserve to have these things. Like entitlement is a massive thing that, that stems from pride. Okay, second one, self-sufficiency. Some people, they pride themselves in never having to ask for help. And I'm able to do all this on my own. And even when things aren't going well, they still won't ask for help because there is this pride that is holding them back. Okay, this is the thing we always talk about. Like we, every single year, I'll be honest, we end up with more benevolent money than what we can give away. And it's not because we have more money than what there is needs. We actually have way less money in our benevolent fund than the needs that are out there. But it's because the people that actually have needs don't want to come and talk to anybody about it and ask for help. Because they want to be self-sufficient. Arrogance. This is kind of a classic way that pride shows up. I don't really even think I have to go into that a whole lot. Just as I'm better than you. I don't have anything to learn from you. Uh, I'm good. 
All right, people-pleasing. People-pleasing. And those of you that are people-pleasers, like, you know you are. Like, in this room right now, you're like, yep, that's me. Here's the thing. Here's what you're doing. You're trying to actually, like, protect your own reputation in that person's eyes. You're trying to stop there from being any type of, like, conflict that you're going to have to deal with when the reality is, like, people-pleasing isn't necessarily always a bad thing, but it is when we begin to change um, the way that God has called us to do things to try and please others. And and we try and tiptoe around different people. Like, people-pleasing, you need to at least dig down, if that's you, and say, is this stemming from pride? All right, attention-seeking. Someone who just always, you know, needs attention, needs affirmation, all those types of things. Like, you are trying to be validated, kind of like people-pleasing, by the people that are around you. Instead of finding validation... In God. Now the reason why I say that this is pride is because remember, what was our definition of pride? It's taking the spotlight off of God and it's putting it on us. Where God wants to be our validation, where God wants to be the one that we're pleasing, we're actually instead kind of putting it on us or the people around us. Criticalness. This is something... I mean, so many of these things, as I list these off, I'm like, I have these in my life. I need to dig down on these things. The, the person that's always critical, you always have a better way of doing it, or someone's always doing things a little bit wrong. False humility. False humility is ugly because what it is, is more often than not, you're actually really good at something, and someone compliments you, and you're like, oh, no, I'm not actually that good at that. And you know what you're saying to them? You're saying that they are absolutely terrible. Like, because if you're better than they are and they recognize that and they compliment that in you and you're like, oh no, I'm not that good. Like, what are you doing? You're kind of, you're trying to have your cake and eat it too. You're trying to actually get, you're trying to get validation twice. Yes, I am good at it. Oh, and also this person is not arrogant about it. Like false humility has this real gross like piece to it. And lastly, fear. I think so often, what fear does is it removes our trust and our focus on God and it puts it back on us in a way where we say, I want to control this situation because if I'm not in control, I'm afraid of what will happen. And when I phrase it that way, you can hear how fear stems from pride. Now, again, this is not meant to be like every single time that there is fear, every single time, you know, that that's always from pride. But what I want us to do is have this list and say, okay, I probably need to dig down and and figure out what the source of some of these things are. And I would guess that every person in this room probably has something that's on this list that you're like, yeah, that's something that I deal with. All right? And I'll tell you this. If you don't think there's something on this list that you deal with, that's probably pride. (laughs) Because the thing with pride is, is what stops you from seeing your faults? Pride. (laughs) So what stops you from seeing pride in your life? Pride does. That's the hard thing about pride. All right? And and so instead, I want to... I would encourage you to to dig into this, to find someone, even if if you don't know what it is you struggle with, you're like, I know I have pride, I just don't know where. Go and talk to somebody that you're close with who will actually be honest with you and ask them a very blunt question and give them permission to give you a blunt answer. 
and say, okay, where do you see pride in my life? All right, and if they say nowhere, they're a people pleaser and they have pride. (laughs) (laughs) All right, like this is one of these things, like this has to be uncomfortable conversations. All right, and and, and this is something that we have to, we have to rip this out at the roots every chance that we get. Because here's the thing, pride has been present since the beginning. Pride led to Lucifer being cast out of the presence of God. In a way, we could almost call it the original sin. Pride led to sin entering the world when Eve wanted to take things into her own hands and, and, and learn good and evil her own way. Pride led Cain to kill Abel. Pride led Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. Pride almost stopped Moses from rescuing the Israelites. He's like, no, don't send me. I'm not good at speaking. Pride almost stopped Naaman from being healed because he was too good to wash himself in the the muddy Jordan River. Pride led David to steal Uriah's wife and to kill Uriah. Pride led the rich young ruler to walk away. Pride caused division among the disciples when John and James asked to sit next to Jesus at his right and at his left. Pride led Judas to betray Jesus. Pride caused the disciples to disregard the first testimony of the very first people sharing the resurrection. Pride was the source of so many issues in the New Testament that now we have the New Testament because of pride. Paul and Peter and these different people writing letters to churches saying, knock it off. This is what's going on. Pride is all over the Bible and it is robbing God of the glory that he is owed by his creation. That's what pride does. And pride is rampant in the American church and it's rampant in church leaders like myself. And this is a massive issue. And it's something that we need to figure out and we need to wrestle with. And we need to deal with it. And we need to find a way to say, I'm not going to let pride run my life anymore. I think if we want to close the gap between what our faith looks like versus the faith of the early church or the persecuted church today, it starts with us attacking pride. And, And I'm not saying that Pride wasn't there in the early church or that it isn't present in the lives of the people around the world, but it seems to be less. And I think some of that reason is because of wealth and because of freedom and because of safety. And the environment that we have here is an environment that that allows pride to thrive. And not only that, it even actually glorifies it and, and it and it says that it's a good quality to have at times. All right, so when those things are absent, it just seems like there's less of a chance for it to grow. Now, here's a snippet of a book. We've been reading parts of these different books, uh, some last week. And this is from uh, a book called The Heavenly Man. And it's a believer in China. He's, he's, it's some of the worst stories of persecution you'll just ever read have happened in this guy's life and the people that he's ministered to. All right, so I want to read this. He says, Before I traveled to the West, I had absolutely no idea that so many churches were spiritually asleep. I presume the Western church was strong and vibrant because it had brought the gospel to my country with such incredible faith and tenacity. Many missionaries had shown a powerful example to us by laying down their lives for the sake of Jesus. On some occasions I've struggled while speaking in Western churches. There seems to be something missing that leaves me feeling terrible inside. Many meetings are cold and lack the fire and presence of God that we have in China. 
I want you to just think about this, imagine this. In the West, many Christians have an abundance of material possessions, yet they live in a backslidden state. They have silver and gold, but they don't rise up and walk in Jesus' name. In China, we have no possessions to hold us down, so there's nothing preventing us from moving out for the Lord. The Chinese church is like Peter at the beautiful gate when he saw the crippled beggar and he said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. In a similar way, I pray that God might use the Chinese church to help the Western church rise up and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's almost impossible for the church in China to go to sleep in its present situation. There is always something to keep us on the run. And it's very difficult to sleep while you are running. If persecution stops, I fear we will become complacent and fall asleep. We can see how freedom to do what we're doing this morning is a great thing. It's something I don't want to take for granted. But there's two sides to that coin. Because when persecution is present, the cost to follow Jesus increases. And then you actually have to ask yourself, am I willing to pay that cost? I, I think that's where we're going next week is this idea of Jesus said, count the cost. And yet in America, we have put Christianity on sale. And brought it down, down, down so that there's almost no cost. I think that he has an accurate diagnosis of the American church. So last thing I want to do as we close this. All right. This is pride. We need, we need to deal with pride. This is something we, we need to figure out in our lives. Um, I want us to figure out, though, if we're going to remove pride, we need to replace it with something. I'm going to do this really quick. All right, I think most of us would say the answer is humility. I would agree with that, but I think we need to, again, like we did with pride, come up with the right definition of humility. All right? Um, oftentimes, the opposite of humility is thought to be pride, but the verse that we actually looked at last week, I think kind of makes it seem like selfishness is actually the opposite of humility. All right, we had read this. It said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. All right, now, so I, I typed in humility. I wanted to see what the definition of it was. Uh, and the first one that came up, I absolutely hated. It said this, A modest or low view of one's own importance. All right, now, here, here's what I hate about that. In that definition, what is the focus? It's me. I don't think that when we talk about humility, the focus is ever supposed to be me. So this idea of like this low self-importance of myself, like it, it just is this weird kind of thing. Now, I actually really like Merriam-Webster's definition, but it doesn't give you a great place to start. It just simply says freedom from pride or arrogance. I'm like, that's genius. But now we need to define pride, and then we, need to, we still don't really know what humility is. Uh, I think we've probably heard the classic line that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Okay, it's kind of a little turn of phrase that people have used. Uh, for us to practice humility, the focus needs to shift from us onto others. And so this is what I want to do. Um, this morning I had people say, hey, do you want us to bring that back to the nursery? And I'm like, no, this is part of my illustration. 
All right? I have these two people that I stole from my daughter's play bin. And I think oftentimes what we think humility is, you know, if this is me and I'm trying to be humble, what we think humility is, is this. I need to put myself down so that I am below the people around me because to be humble is to be below them, right? Like that's what we think. So what we begin to do is focus on ourselves in a weird way where we're almost kind of demeaning ourselves. Now here's the problem with that. You and I and every human, we are made in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. The person that you love most in life, they are an image bearer of God. The person that you absolutely can't stand in this world, you know, the leader of whatever opposite political party you're part of, like, they were made in the image of God. Sorry. And here's the thing. When we begin to diminish another person, we are diminishing the image of God. That's what we're doing. We are tearing down someone who is made in the image of God. And when we diminish ourselves, we are diminishing the image of God. Now, I think a better way of looking at humility is not this, I need to be down here, but it's this. I'm going to lift up the people that are around me. Because what does that do? Where does the focus go? It leaves me and it goes to someone else, which I think is the first step that we need to do in humility. All right? And what we are doing is we are lifting up the people around us. Because everyone hates it when someone, when you're like, oh, I'm not very good at that. And you're like, are you kidding me? You're the best person in the room at that. Don't say that. That's annoying. <laughs> it's false humility. But what you can do is instead just take the focus off of you. And they might be complimenting you about something and be like, yeah, but you know what? I, I love how you are always able to do this. You're always able to, you know, pull this out of that situation. You're always able to see the positive in this. Or, or you're just, you're so good at doing this. What does that do? It lifts up someone else who's an image bearer of God. It doesn't diminish somebody. And I think that's what we need to figure out with humility here. All right, I don't have like this amazing great answer for us with it. But I wanted us to kind of get that visual and that picture with it. So here's, here's where we're at. Here's where we're closing. You guys can actually even stand with me. I think that pride is an issue. Pride is an issue in me, and pride is an issue in you. I think that pride is robbing God of the attention that he should get. I think that when churches do really bad things, the focus gets put on them, and it's being robbed from God. I think when churches do really good things, at times, when it's done in the wrong light, the focus is then still put back on us. Now, this is a hard thing to figure out. How do I actually balance this? How do we celebrate what as a church we are able to give to kingdom builders to make a difference in the world, but not be arrogant and put the spotlight on us? But we want to celebrate what God's doing. And so hopefully you feel this tension that surrounds pride. That I, I don't think I'm ever going to fully have this figured out. I think it's going to be a moving target for me that every single week, every single day, I have to wake up and be like, all right, how is pride seeping through today in my life? And I'm going to just kind of play whack-a-mole in my life with pride everywhere I see it. Like, let's get rid of that. Let's try and diagnose where the roots of it is. So here's, here's the two things that I want for us to be able to do. 
identify where pride has the biggest and maybe even the, the second biggest hold in our lives. Maybe you need to go back to that list, those eight things that had kind of been rattled off. Where does pride show up the most in your life? All right, and now begin that process of removing it. And then the second thing for us is this. Look for opportunities to lift up others and give glory to God in our lives. Not false humility in our part, trying to push ourselves down and pretend like we aren't good at things that we're good at. Like, if God gave you a talent, don't pretend like that's not a talent. Again, you're robbing glory from God when you do that. God should be glorified at the fact that you're good at something. God should be glorified at the fact that Corey is a good drummer. He gave him that talent. He is developing that. Is he putting hard work into that? Absolutely. But to sit there and say, oh, no, I'm not that good. Oh, shucks. You know, like, you're, you're taking glory from God in that moment. So how do we put the spotlight where it needs to be? So this is where I want to leave us today. Like, through most of this series, I probably don't have a great, like, wrap up, put a bow on it, answer for us. But that this is where we're going to end. All right, so I want, I want to pray. And I, I'm going to pray that God would even just begin to speak to each one of us, even right now. Jesus, we ask that, uh, that we would take this serious. Lord, that we begin to hunt down pride and arrogance that are, that are in our life. God, I pray that right now as we sit here, that you would even highlight things. You would bring things to mind that we struggle with, that, that we would begin to uh, even just have a process of how to remove that. God, that you would place honest, transparent, loving people in our life that could encourage us and call out these areas where we are struggling. And God, I pray that you would just give us a, a humble heart. God, a heart that is, that is looking to lift you up, to give you glory. God, a heart that is willing to lift up others and, and to show them the things that you are doing in their life. God, again, to point back at your glory, not, even, not to glorify them, but, but to glorify you. And God, I am sorry for the ways that I have tried to put the spotlight on myself. God, I pray that you would just, in my life and in any of our lives, that you would continually convict us of that. Because our purpose here is just to worship and glorify you. So God, let us, let us do that. We ask this in your name. Amen.